Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Hope you guys had a wonderful Easter yesterday. I hope you were able to spend it with some people that you love. And I know that it was different than any Easter we've had in years past, but the reason for the holiday has not changed. And whether you're in church or on your couch, Jesus is still the same. And I hope that you were able to reflect on that and we're able to experience a wonderful worship service, even though we can't do it in person. Hey guys, since it is Easter season, and given what's going on in our world, I really wanted to get a pastoral voice on this podcast to sort of give some context, some biblical context, to what it is that we are experiencing with COVID-19 and everything else that has come out of that. So this week, my guest is Greg Farrell, who is the senior pastor at my church here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Crossland Community Church. And truthfully, Greg is one of the smartest biblical teachers that I have ever met. And I really have been waiting to have him on this podcast for the right time. And I cannot think of a better time than what we are going through right now. He truly is one of the smartest people when it comes to biblical knowledge. And he just has a way of contextualizing things that are difficult for us to understand. I've met with him a number of times for things that have been going on in my life. We were fortunate enough to have him as our wedding officiant. And I just am so excited to have him on here. And there's just so many important things that we discussed on here that I want you to hear his thoughts on it. So thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here's my conversation with Crossland Community Church Pastor Greg Farrell. Well, Greg, I'm excited to have you on. I've been wanting to get you on here really since I started this podcast. You're one of the first names that I put down on my wow. list. And now we're here in Bowling Green and, and we can get you on here now. And I think there's never been a better time than right now as we're kind of going through a, a pretty weird time yeah. culturally, globally, um, I guess even in the church. Absolutely. H- how have you personally and as a church adjusted to COVID-19 and what we're going through? Well, you know, and it's interesting, it, there there are two different adjustments, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, most all of us have a professional adjustment and then a personal adjustment to it as well, as have we. Um, it is, and I know we throw the word around a lot, and, and but it is truly unprecedented, you know. Uh, in our time, in this contemporary era, this is an unprecedented situation. So I think Everybody's got to do what we're doing is we're just making the next best decision. You know what I mean? We're we're just trying to because everything's so fluid and unpredictable. You you just got to be. I think this is that time that we've seen developing where you know for so many years the big would eat the small and today the fast eat the slow. I mean, you really just got to be flexible and fluid. Um, personally, you know, it's the one word that I've used to describe how I'm responding emotionally is it's it's extraordinarily disorienting, you know, and I have been through a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. No more than the average person, but especially in the last four or five years, but it's it feels like someone has changed the compass points, you know what I mean? And, and we still know there's a true north, but when we're pointing the compass true north, it's actually telling us it's southeast, and so... You know, you know, you really know it's north, but there's just something now that's so disorienting. So um, it's it's odd, to be honest with you. Churchwide, you know, we're doing everything, almost everything that we always do. We're just 
we just don't have anybody in the room we're doing it with right now. So, you know, we, we've got about seven or eight of us in the room instead of 2,000, and that's a little <laughs> disorienting. But, you know, as far as our workload and all of those things, we continue to do everything we can every day. You know, we're grinding daily. I just, I know this has got to be a difficult time because there have been some churches that have been apprehensive to follow the guidelines of their state. They're still having you know, in-person services. Right. What was that decision process? I mean, obviously it was kind of taken out of your hands because the governor said, hey, we've got to do this. But, yeah. you know, I know that you you would have liked to have had people in here as long as you can. Definitely. Um, what are you, what do you, I don't know, you don't have to call people out here, but what is your opinion on the churches that are still having these in-person services to where, like I know in Christian County, Governor Bashir said there was a church revival, I think, that infected a lot of people. And yeah. how, I guess as a church, what is the responsibility during something like this where you still want to reach your people, but you've just got to do it in a different way? And I think we've, in, you know, at least in this church, we found a great way to do that with our online broadcast. Correct. But I guess what have you thought about the churches that are continuing to do this despite maybe what their state governors are saying about it? Well, we just did our third Sunday, you know, um, from just streaming a- experience. The very first weekend that it really hit the Commonwealth of Kentucky, um, I and about six or seven other pastors were in constant communication here in the Warren County area. And we all agreed we were going to still do church because they'd had not even, by the end of that week, that was like on Monday and Tuesday, by the end of that week, the six or so of those churches that uh, all of them but us had decided, you know what, we're going to pull the plug. And I stood with them completely and they stood with us we still did church that one weekend and uh but by monday or tuesday the next week it became so painfully apparent that it was really we we felt like we we prayed we sought our own decision you know we sought counsel professional counsel medical counsel legal counsel um we sought the opinion of other churches and so we we never tried to make a singular decision number one but churches who are continuing to meet now, I do believe in the autonomy of the church. So I think each church is like each person. I think you've got to seek the face of God. And at the end of the day, to some extent, yes, do what you feel like God's calling you to do. But personally, I think at this point, it's borderline irresponsible. I really do. I think it's fine to live with faith, but I also think you should never presume or tempt God either, you know? Um, so you got to be very, very, very careful. The last thing that the gospel needs is for a hotspot of an outbreak of coronas to be tied to a New Testament church of yeah. Jesus Christ. That's the last thing she needs in this world right now. Um, we need to be a station of hope. And so I think restricting the physical location is not dishonoring God at all. I do admire some people just to some extent. I think they're, I just, my only concern would be, are you doing it to be courageous or are you doing it to be faithful? You know, and if you're doing it to be courageous, we don't need your courage. You know what I mean? We got Jesus. So I just think at this point, it's, it really it's so, I don't want to say any individual church is being irresponsible. That's not my call. But I would say as a whole, yeah, it's borderline irresponsible. And how, how difficult, and I don't, I don't want to just focus on the difficult because I think there's beauty to all this too. But I guess what's been the different thing about planning the Easter service, which is obviously mm-hmm. a big deal for most churches and this church as well. How has that planning been different? I'm looking at what looks like a plan for this year's Easter. Um, right on the wall. Right on the wall here. But what is that planning? How, how different has that been to know that there's not going to be people here and we've just got to reach people in a different way? 
Well, we about three weeks ago, when we made the decision to pull the plug as far as people attending in our buildings, because we have three locations. So we even that first weekend, we only met in Bowling Green. You know, we didn't meet in the other two locations, but because um, we just felt like we couldn't staff it very well. Yeah. Um, we immediately made the decision that what we were going to do is do on Easter Sunday, we were going to um, stream live at 930 to anybody who wanted to stay at home. And then we were going to do a live worship set in our parking lot here at the Bowling Green campus. We had already made arrangements. We rented a stage, a beautiful outdoor setup. So it was going to be like an, a festival. You know, we had made arrangements, a stage, a covered stage, a sound system that would fill that entire parking lot potentially an LED wall to let people wow. see the lyrics. Um, you know, and we were going to stream again at 11 live from the parking lot. Then we thought, well, let's not stream it from the parking lot. Let's just, if people want to come, they come. And so we literally, what you're looking at right there, it says Easter 2020 in the parking lot, <laughs> right? So that the whole plan is right there. It's on the wall in these big sheets of paper. And um, last Monday, We've been meeting virtually as a staff every Monday morning because we meet every Monday anyway, and there's about 19 of us. And, you know, we I just began to question, ask the question, is this really what we should be doing? Is this really what we want to do? And um, we, after about an hour and a half discussion, realized, you know what? The best thing for us to do is to do what we do. You know what I mean? And the best thing that we do is what we do in that room every Sunday. And it's it's a flawless environment. It's um, you don't have to worry about hiccups and missteps, and you don't. We weren't so concerned about coronavirus because people were going to stay in their cars. We already have FM radio broadcast capacities, but we just thought, you know what? What people need is not cool. What they need is Christ, yeah. clearly proclaimed, and a very compelling experience. And we should just do this Sunday what we. That's what everybody should do any Easter is you should put your best foot forward, but not an extraordinarily different foot forward. You've been here long enough to know our Easter Sunday is no different than the Sunday before it or after it because yeah. people will generally visit on Easter. We don't want them to have an experience that can't be replicated the next yeah. week. You know, we want them to see who we really are at our best, certainly, but... You know, again, I joke with the staff, we're not going to have camels and donkeys walking in. <laughs> when I was a kid, we had that stuff. You know what I mean? It'd be like, you know, you'd have a Monday, Thursday service and they'd be bringing a camel in and be like, this is awesome. But, you know, next week you're a kid, you're like, where's the camel? You know, so we want to be. Now, if you look online, if you just pay attention to Facebook, there are a litany of churches out there now doing parking lot services and drive in type movie theater experiences. Yeah. So we made the decision to do it and not do it before a lot of churches even went public that they were doing it. And I think it's fabulous that they do that. And I think part of the reason is technologically broadcast capacities, ours are superior because we've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. You know, we've got about $150,000 investment in our broadcast software and equipment because we have to do it every Sunday four times right. to get it to our campuses. So... I can see somebody being like, well, man, all we've got is Facebook. Let's let's at least be in the parking lot. I stand with them. I cheer them on yeah. you know, to do what they do. But we really feel like the most important thing in this world that people need is some consistency. And we're going to provide them that by doing what we do. That's interesting you say that because the church that I grew up at in Evansville, 
every year would rent out. Is that out. in Indiana? Yeah. It's in <laughs> Indiana, baby. <laughs> That's between the two of us. That's an inside I, joke. I almost wore, I have, a, I have a shirt that says made in Indiana. I almost oh, wore that. Oh, you should have. <laughs> um, My Hoosier. But they, they would rent out the big arena in town yeah. to have the Easter service, which that's great. And I absolutely, it. and it would be this grand production. And sometimes I would get to perform in it when I was in choir, um, right back in my high school choir days. But yeah, it was hard to, people would come back to the actual campus and they wouldn't, they, it, granted we had a big church, but it wasn't in the stadium. And so they've no. since done away with that, which I think I never heard it put the way that you said it, but I think that's a good point. Like we don't want somebody to get an idea that, you know, we, that we can't live up to. And I think like this church, I've, I've always just been been happy. I mean, ever since Emily and I have been together, this is always where we've come, and it has always felt like a second church home. Yeah, man. And so, like, I just have always been grateful for you know the, the Christmas services, the Easter services. How you know it's obviously there's a special sure moment to it, but it's it's not anything that's grand or you know out of the park that we can't no. replicate every week. And we've learned we've done a lot of outdoor stuff. We used to meet at Skypack on Easter when we were waiting for this building that you're sitting in to be finished for two years. Our auditorium was so small we couldn't do Easter. We'd had it done ten services, so we would do two. Or so, I think, maybe the next year, three, at Sky Pack, and it is spectacular. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a performing arts center. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, wow. I remember the one year we had it at the Bowling Green Ballpark. After right. The yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, you know, it's never been actually as good as it is here because it's our controlled environment. Yeah. And the one thing we've also learned in those, those environments, there's nothing for the kids. So the parents have to watch their kids. And here, one of the things we do best as a church is children through youth ministry. So even guests and visitors and families on Easter Sunday, they know we're still doing a full slate of programming. We can't do that anywhere else. Mm -hmm. We don't have classrooms separated out and age appropriate experiences. So going, we we started joking. Can you imagine a family of four in a car out here on a hot Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship and they're not allowed to get out of the car? Oh my gosh. <laughs> They'd be begging for coronavirus just so they could get some separation, you know? Yeah. One of the, the big things that I wanted to make sure that I talked to you about today is just be, is to try to put some biblical context to what we sure. might be going through. I know that there's a lot of people that, um, which the sermon yesterday I think was great because you said, do you need more faith or do you need more facts? And I think for a lot of people, like I think we do need a lot more facts. Correct. And, and, I, and I think I've always, Emily and I have always remarked that, that whenever we go to the large group study or even a sermon, it feels like we're sitting through a seminary class because your, because your biblical knowledge is, is so great. And thank and you. We're very, very grateful to, to be at a church where we can learn not just about God himself, but about what the Bible actually says and about like, I love learning like, this is what the Greek word, root, the root word it was in Greek, and here's what it means. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's yeah. over my head, but I'm like, me man, too. I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> by how accurate. And to me, like, whenever I look at things like that, I'm like, that shows to me how accurate the Bible actually actually is. That's because correct. You can trace it back. Well, you hit the nail on the head, dude. So, like, there's been a lot of people that have been saying that what we're experiencing right now is the end times. <laughs> and we recently had a study in our large group here about Revelation. Yes. And I just thought maybe you could address like how to put this in context with what the Bible actually says about the end times. Yeah. Well, I think, again, as you know how I approach Scripture, I like the holistic understanding of this epic story, okay? So 
When someone says end times or last days, the first thing I want to say to them is you're going to have to explain what you mean by that because we are officially in the last days, okay? The church has been in its last days since the day of Pentecost, okay? The prophecy of Joel says, in these last days, in the last days I shall pour out my spirit on all people, men and women, and shall prophesy. So we know that once in a lifetime day on the 50th day since the crucifixion of Christ, we kind of began the backslide, we're on the backside of human history, without a doubt we're in the last days. Now, are we in the, if you, as I think what you're talking about very clearly, the end times that are clearly spoken of through Daniel, Zechariah, the final teachings of Christ called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, and then the book of Revelation? Mm -hmm. My answer to that is, because I don't know absolutely, because Jesus right. said no one will know, but from a biblical perspective, I would say unequivocally, no. Yeah. Okay. There are way too many other indicators that have yet to happen that completely eliminate the possibility of this being the final seven year tribulation. And it's important to understand that when even Jesus said there's going to be earthquakes and pestilence and famine, all of those things happening simultaneously at the end, and they can happen simultaneously in 2020. They could happen simultaneously again in 2027. They could happen simultaneously again in 2042, simultaneously in 2089. I mean, just because all of those events are happening at any one time doesn't mean that's the last time any of those events is going to happen. Right. You know, like you think about Israel, when they came back into the sovereignty of their homeland in 1948, a lot of people were like, oh, it's over. They're back. Well, here's the problem. We don't know that they won't be pushed out of their homeland again. And if anybody who pays attention to anything thinks it's not possible for Israel to be pushed out or at least attacked to be pushed out of her homeland in the volatile circumstances of the Middle East right now is naive. So they could come back again. They could come back five more times. So every time you look at a cataclysmic event, you just have to understand while you should learn something for it from it because it could very well be a type of event that will exist in the future. It's not necessarily the catalytic event that says we're in the end, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think one of the powers of revelation is not necessarily, while it is certainly that, um, to teach us about what things will be like in the end, you have to understand that's a letter to seven churches, okay? And those seven churches were spoken to first before Christ gave John uh, the revelation of the end. In other words, the thing that's most important is the current circumstances you find yourself in, not trying to interpret the future circumstances the world will find itself in. So the whole purpose of revelation is says those of you who read this and take it to heart will be blessed. It wasn't a manual for people to pull out in the end days to say, okay, let's follow this. It was actually a, a, a discipleship teaching to motivate anybody at any time who would read that timeless word that this should have a deep effect upon everybody, not just the anybody's who were alive at the end. Because, and again, we could, I could list a handful of catalytic events that must happen that have yet to happen and that would be so profound that when you see them happening, I think you're pretty much going to know we're there. And, and this awful pandemic, while it's terrible, it's just not one of them, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I just I kept seeing a meme that was going around, and I think it was a verse from Ephesians. I think I was talking to you briefly before we recorded about it, but everybody was saying like, oh, this – this part here talks about the Austra this is the Australian wildfires, and then 
there was something else that th- this is X, Y, and Z. And then now it says there's an epidemic. And so obviously like the Bible's prophesying what we're going through. And I just felt like there were so many people that were not as biblically literate that were reading that and they were believing a false, a, a, basically a, a false idea of what was going on. And I don't like to, inc- I don't like to engage a lot of people on social media in those kind of a battles, but I felt like if I could at least have you wanted, maybe bring us some context and some truth, sure. like that would be great. And I just, you know, th- I think it's so important for, it's not the most important thing right now, but I do think that it is important for people that are biblically literate to shepherd people through this process and say, look, like you're saying, while it's bad, pump the br- in your words, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. <laughs> Take a breath. Well, here's my question for anybody who wants to try and conclude that. If that is true, okay, is that going to affect how you live? Yeah. And the answer would be yes. Then my question to them would be, if it's not true, why would it still not have an effect on the way you live? Yeah. Like, are you going to wait until it's the most horrible time to get your act together? What, are you finally going to live for Christ when you know the end is here? I think you're supposed to live urgently, immediately, not eventually. Mm -hmm. So if you're even thinking it might be the end. So here's my question for you. What are you doing about it? You know, you speculating? Speculation, you know, that's for prognosticators. That's not for followers. We don't speculate. We serve. So just regardless of your conclusion, I say this to every Christian, get your act together. This might be premature labor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A woman might be six months pregnant. She's got some pain. She, and they're like, hey, those are premature labor pains. Go back home. But Whoa, you're still pregnant. <laughs> well, you know what? Sure, she gets your attention. Well, is it getting our attention? You know, and that would be my answer. My question for everybody who wonders is quit worrying about then. Let's start focusing on now and you. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Is it affecting how you live your life for Christ? One of the other um, big, I guess, aspects of what's going on right now is the financial impact that people mm-hmm. are feeling. And I know we recently had a, a sermon a couple months ago where you fielded some questions from the congregation. And I guess one of the most asked things was about finances. Yes. And this week I had an author on whose book was about finding some more money during this time. And I, mm-hmm. from a biblical perspective, I know that we still need to be giving during Correct. this time. and. There are some churches who I know are, I don't want to say taking advantage of this, but they are, I don't think that, they're, they're, it's no secret, there are some churches that do not steward their money well. And there are some churches that have been getting uh, publicly criticized for the way, that, the way that they are approaching the giving aspect and tithing aspect during this time. And I feel like our church has done that with grace. I think that we've handled it well, which, I mean, you're always are, you. are saying like, hey, this is not going to me. We're using it for X, Y, and Z to help these people. From a biblical perspective and from a church perspective, how can we approach the financial situation that we find ourselves both personally and as a nation right now? Well, I think because you've been here a long time, and I'm thankful to some of the mentors along the road in my life. Because when I was growing up in church, well, I was raised in a Catholic faith, and they never talked about giving. We just did it. They never talked about it, you know? And then when I began my Protestant journey 27, 28 or so years ago now, um, you always knew 
you know, Giving Sunday was coming, you know, when the pastor was going to have to come up there and give that awkward tithing ceremony. And even as a lover of Jesus, I'd cringe too because I think, oh, this is just the keep the people are going to die. So what I was mentored to do was is to talk about giving every Sunday. And that's what we do at Crossland. We never just have a time of offering. We have a time of worship. We talk about it. Mm -hmm. We have a brief two or three minute devotional every Sunday. And we have now for probably, oh, eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for Crossland, the stewardship reality, we're not shocking people now because we're approaching it the same exact way. Yeah. We're still having a brief two or three minute devotional. We talked yesterday about the nature of giving is like laying your blanket down on a dirt road when Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. You took off your outer garment. You just laid it down. You know, and sometimes we've got to believe that we all have something we can lay down that Christ can walk across to pave the way for people to know who he is. All right. Now, I trust the Holy Spirit to put what that he'll take that that's his word into their hearts and they'll give as they can and most people give as they should so i i think if you're if you haven't i can understand again it's like people all of a sudden scramble to get on facebook live you know i my heart goes out to them because i realize oh my gosh i can only imagine we are stressed out every Sunday, and we've been broadcasting for 10 years. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, my God, what if it goes out? Uh, and I can only imagine you're just starting this. And I can also imagine being in that place um, where you're like, okay. Because, you know, before this started, we were still, we were, you know, over 50-plus percent of our annual giving has been digital for years now, you know, because we've been doing digital giving so long. And I think it's imperative that people talk about giving. I think it's absolutely essential that they talk about giving at a time like this. But I can tell you what I know is that when people are talking about giving from desperation because they're worried about the finances of the church, man, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ can smell that a mile away. Yeah. You know, when you're talking from a position of continuing your ministries, people can smell that a mile away too. Yeah. When they know that, that, you know, this is my biblical responsibility. And again, I think we've got to always present giving as not wanting something from anyone, but something for them. Yeah. That if we're sold out to the belief of God's capacity to outgive us, if we're sold out to the capacity that, you know, we're not here to pay God back, we're here to give God back the glory that belongs to Him and only Him, that whole motivation is different. Then you trust God that individual people will make their own individual decisions based upon their economic situation. And then it's between them and God. It's not between them and the church. I've never believed in my heart that people give to a church. The church has no money. It's God's money. Then it's the people's money. Then it's God's money. Yeah. That's where, it, and God allows us to spend it. But with the money that's in our bank account as a church, is not the church's money. It's God's money. Yeah. It was his, then he gave it to the people, then the people gave it back to him. So as long as you, if you can, and we mean that sincerely, you keep the church out of it, I think it's a much healthier approach because that's the biblical model. Yeah. You know, it really is the biblical model for what giving is all about. And so the, econ the economies, I, I, like I, I've talked multiple times now on our Sundays during this, you know, especially during the study of Hebrews, you know, because in AD 65, there was such an incredible 
um, persecution and famine beginning to beset the Jerusalem Christians, that when Paul was out on his missionary trips in, in Corinth and Macedonia and all of those Greek cultural regions, he was raising money. He's raising money for people that were in a city that most of those Greeks had never been to, had no need to go to. They weren't going there for Passover or Pentecost. The gospel had to come to them. But Paul said, but listen, you have a responsibility to them because you're standing on their shoulders is basically what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And so from the prosperity of Corinth and he would raise money. But the Macedonians were just as broke and poor because they had their own famine they were dealing with. So at a time like this, I think it's essential that those who can do, those who can't receive. If you can't do it, then I understand it. But don't let pride stand in the way of letting people help you either. Yeah. If you if you can't give right now, then you are in, certainly in a position where you need to open your heart and hands to receive the blessings of God because that's how it works in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And if you have a need, you should be able to express that need. I, I The last thing I'd say in that area, I, I, as far as, you know, thank God I— you know, my undergrad was originally in like poli sci, poli sci and econ, but uh, thank God I didn't go that way, right? Me and politics, a dangerous thing. I'd probably have been assassinated by now. But I think just looking at the economic markers, again, I'm not prophesying anything. I just think we're in a much different place than we were in 2008. You know, we had a massive banking crisis due to some banking practices that just led to massive infra infrastructure crash. Yeah. You know, that's not this economy, thankfully. The economy of the last seven or eight years, it's not been that way. So I think we'll get reestablished very quickly. There's going to be collateral damage. There yeah. always is. But I will tell you for the church, um, and I hope anybody who's listening to me, I, this I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you, this is my gut on the matter, is that we have not faced the major effects of the financial wave. We'll receive that once people are able to come back to church because they're going to come back with the financial collateral damage. Yeah. You know, they're going to come back and they're now, you know, like a month after this is when all of a sudden landlords can ask for rent payments again and mortgage payments will no longer be under a grace period. So what we're experiencing now, you better be doing what Joseph did. You better be storing right now because the famine's coming and we're going to be in a position where we have got to really be able to do a lot more after quarantine than we're being asked to do during it. That's a great point. And I think for there's a lot of people that, yeah, like just individually, they might be experiencing some grace in their own life and whatever little money that they are getting, you know, say somebody's lost their job. I think it's a good point. Like start saving a lot of that because like, for instance, you know, if you have a student loan payment and you're you're delaying that because the federal government says you can, well, that money still needs to go to those loans just down the road. And I think that's partly why I've always been so leery to have a credit card because I'm like, right. I don't want to put myself in any more debt than I need to. I'd rather just pay right now. That's it. And you know, I'm not by any means a financial guru, but I at least try to be smart enough to know like I don't want to overspend or spend money for something that's designated for something else. And I think right now that can be a very difficult thing to navigate because you're seeing this money come in. Maybe you get the economic stimulus check. Well, you want to put it toward food when it really, it's like, you're going to have to pay for your bills down the road that you're maybe putting off right now. And I don't know. I think that's, I think you're right. Like I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think it's, I think you're right. It's going to be something that maybe is kind of like a delayed punch to our it face will. later. It will. No question about it. And the, you know, the federal government may do another stimulus. I, I don't know, but um, and 
you know, do the practical thing. You know what I mean? If you can't pay your rent right now, the first thing you should do with that stimulus check is not use it to pay your rent right now because you're in grace. Put one month's rent payment away so that the first month you're out of grace, you know you got that covered and you've got 30 more days now that the quarantine's off to get back to work and get that money going. Mm -hmm. If you start in the hole, your first day back at work, you're going to be an anxious mess. Yeah. Because number one, you got to go back to work. You got to navigate all that insanity and you got a landlord breathing down your neck. So I'm with you. Part of the economic, the whole hope of that is that we'll all spend that money. Okay. Yeah. Because that's what's going to keep businesses going and restaurants. So I get that. But it really doesn't do anybody any good if you spend all $1,200 and then the day that the quarantine's off, you need money to pay your rent because yeah. that's not going to help the economy with you being homeless. Yeah. So we all just got to breathe. And again, as I always say, just pump the brakes, make your best decision today. And if the decisions you make today did not produce the results you were looking for, then make the next best decision. Yeah. And just don't live in constant regret and fear over, you know, you and all of us trying to navigate the constantly fluctuating circumstances that we face. I would say, go ahead, do the best you make as good gracious, make all the mistakes you're going to make. You know what I mean? Just don't sit in your foxhole, you know, and, and wait for the smoke to clear. This is the time to fight. Yeah. This is now. This is when you really like, you know, what? get mad and get mad about your finances and get mad about all kinds of things. Let's yeah. go start swinging for the fence instead of sitting back and be like, you know what? I'll respond when the quarantine's lifted. You're behind the eight ball. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I'm trying to make sure because you know, Emily's business has been impacted because she's a counselor and she's not been able to see as many clients yep. and she's trying to do telehealth. But a lot of these people are like, you know what, I'm just going to wait till this is over. And so we're having to be very cognizant knowing that we're not getting as much money right now and we've got to really, really be careful about overspending. And she's been doing this thing for three months now called the contentment challenge. I've talked on this podcast about it, but she basically is eliminating any unnecessary spending for three months. And it actually was supposed to end this weekend as she's going, she's like, I'm just going to extend it to, to Easter. So she has like not gone shopping. She's had a little bit more grace this time. She did it a couple years ago whenever we first started dating and she was a lot more rigid with it then, but like she's not gone shopping and not bought a bunch of other stuff that she normally would have spent money on. And she's like got, I mean, she, we've had to pay more for groceries and stuff because we're not going out to eat now, but the money that she would have spent elsewhere, she's got that saved now, which yeah. has been great. Cause you know, her income's not as high, but she's also, being smart and saving it. So absolutely trying to be as, as cognizant of all that as we can. Yeah, And even if any person out there listening makes a one degree change this month, do make one change in April. That's it. Don't try and change everything. Change one thing. And then in May, change another thing. And then June, like if you make one significant change a month for 12 months, you've just changed the tra trajectory of your life. 12 degrees. Yeah. And a 12 degree change over a thousand miles will put you in a different state. Wow. If you got on a plane in Nashville flying to LaGuardia and the pilot dialed in a 12-degree error, you're going to land in South Jersey in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. One thing a month. That's how radically different your life can be. And if those who are listening would just think, you know what, under these circumstances, I really should make a change. Amen. Make a change. Whatever it might be, maybe you're just going to say, you know what, goodness, I'm home, let's walk. Great, walk. You're not going to be qualifying for the Olympics because you've been quarantined. Yeah. But you can go walk a mile. Yeah. Walk a mile. And then do that. And then next month, be like, you know what, 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna start cutting out sugar. And maybe it's finances, maybe it's spiritual, maybe maybe you pray every day. But if everybody would take this time to make a one degree change this month, think about that. How radically different our communities could be if everybody made one difference, one different change this month. I, I think that there is a lot of beauty, and I I sent you the article that I wrote about this, but I think there's a lot of beauty right now in the fact that our lives have completely slowed down. Where for me, like I'm a huge sports fan. I don't have any sports to watch this spring. Right. And so there's a lot of things that I can fill my time with that maybe I was making excuses for. I was, you know, allowing myself to be distracted. That includes my time with Jesus in my Bible, mm-hmm. journaling, working on a book that I've been wanting to finish for a year and a half that I just like, you know what, I'm going to sit home and watch this game now. Well, like we don't have any of those distractions now. And I'm not saying that people have to come out of this with some new skill or yeah. some great new thing, but like there's a productive way to use this extra time. And I think what you're saying is is a perfect thing. Like just make that one degree change. One. Yeah. One. And you don't want to, I mean, again, I don't think a lot of people are going to come out of this with regret because this, you know, I don't think it's that, but wouldn't you like to just at least come out of it having learned something and changed something and look back and be like, you know what? As bad, as horrible as it was for so many people at so many different levels, I did change something about myself. Praise God. You know, that would be, that would be, you know, that partial fulfillment of God causes all things to work together for our good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. It can really be a motivator rather than just pure misery. It really can be. Yeah. And I know that a lot of this stuff that's happening can cause people, especially Christians and even people that are, especially people that are not as strong in their faith, to find reasons to be angry at God. They can say, why is this happening, God? Why would you allow my loved one to die, to get yes, sick? No doubt. And I think that you're one of the most, well, you're a pastor, but I think also just your life experience gives you a lot more credence to talk about this than a lot of people, because about two years ago, you went through a very, very significant, scary health situation. And we thought we were going to lose you. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what was going through your mind exactly, but I mean, it was like shortly right after you did our wedding, like a couple, like a month or two later. That's exactly right. You were. It was almost one less than a month, actually. And and then I remember hearing about you were having issues with your esophagus, yep. and it carried on for months. And one thing that has always st- stood out to me, and you mentioned this in a sermon not too long ago, but somebody asked you, "What have you learned about God during this process?" And your answer was nothing. <laughs> He said, I guess, what was your, and it wasn't that I didn't, not, not that you, not that God wasn't speaking to you, but it was like, I think you put it this way. I think you said, I think I was just seeing what he was already trying to show me, or I forget how exactly you put it, but yeah, it was and that kind It's of because sentiment. I think sometimes in the midst of these circumstances, and you're right, it was 18 months of, of um, uh, you know, and a near fatal illness, honestly. Yeah. And I just got off the phone with our local medical center and we were talking a little bit about it, um, but you know, it was 13 surgeries. I lost 40 pounds. I had a feeding tube in my chest. I went months without food, um, no solid food at all. And I spent months at Sloan Kettering up in New York, the greatest hospital in the world. And my heart's breaking for the people in New York City because they gave me my life back. But a lot of people in those, you know, will come to you and say, I'm sure God's teaching you something in the midst of all this. And that sounds really gracious, but it's heinous to say to somebody, you know, and somebody one time said, I, I knew God would slow you down one day. And I'm like, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, is he punishing me? And the truth is, when people ask me, what did you learn about God? I didn't learn anything. I mean, it's not because there isn't more for me to know. It's because 
that that is not always the point. You know what I mean? What I finally experienced, I came to a, a, the knowledge of something, and it was simply that all those things I believe to be true by faith, I now know to be true by experience. Yeah. Okay? And God revealed that which I believed to the core of who I was with every ounce of my existence was actually true. Okay? And that's where I think some of us need to be today. And, you know, I never got angry with God. I really didn't. I never lost my faith. I, you know, I knew it was bleak, you know, but it just never entered my mind. But I think, again, I've, I've got to, oh, I've got to do a funeral this week for a beautiful woman that I've known 20 plus years that's passed. And, um, and there's a lot of people at times that are very angry with God, you know, and I've buried, sadly, I've buried hundreds of people in my ministry and I've witnessed the deaths, you know, just the devastations of marriages and families. And a lot of people get angry with God and they've been victimized and they're angry with God. I happen to take a very different perspective on that than a lot of people. A lot of people tell you that it's wrong to be angry with God. And I disagree with that. I think you don't want to stay angry with God, but I think being angry with God is a beautiful statement of faith that he exists Yeah. because I've never gotten mad at a unicorn ever. I've never been mad at a Martian, ever. I never got mad at this Barney. This is the example. You, whenever I came to talk to you, when I was dealing with a lot of my, I wouldn't say angry at God, but I was having a lot of very yes. deep questions when I lost exactly. somebody very close to me. And I got a chance to have Barnabas Piper on this podcast. He's the son of John Piper. Yes, he is. And he wrote a book called Help My Unbelief. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to what I'm writing. It's a very good book. And we talked a lot about this. And I think that's something that he said was, you know, for him, those questions and that anger actually brought him to a stronger faith, which is where I was, where right. I arrived at as well. Because a lot of times, if you don't have that, you know, for me, like I was kind of just coasting on the faith that I grew up with, that I went through college with, and I never really had been shaken. I mean, I lost my mother when I was 14, but she had lupus and smoked, had lung cancer. So her death wasn't a tragedy to me. When I experienced a tragedy for the first time, I really felt like, this was a man who served God. His daughter was a Christian. His mother was a sweet Christian woman. Why did they have to deal with this tragedy? And people that are going through this now, they might be having that same anger. Yes. And that that anger, that confusion, that heartache is what drove me to understanding the facts of God way more, which is what your sermon was about yesterday was, do you need more faith or do you need more facts? Well, frankly, I didn't have enough facts to have the faith that I wanted to have. Right. I had faith and I knew theories. I didn't have enough facts. Even at 26, I didn't have enough facts. And the last four years since that's happened, three and a half years has been a journey of trying to gather those facts, gain those facts. And I think, um, you know, I, I like what you're saying. Like, it's not a bad thing to be angry, to ask questions. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's no, like, that's, no. that's where it's I was at key. too. Because even the Bible says in your anger, don't sin. Okay. So, you know, like I'm sure this is for you and M, um, and it's true for me and Tammy. I, I don't love anybody on this earth more than I love my wife, and there's nobody else on this earth that I can get madder at than my wife. You know what I mean? It's just like, how is that? Well, because in the absence of intimacy, the depth of intimate anger is an impossibility. And if there's that guttural soul confusion, it's because it's evidence of the reality of a connection. You know what I mean? There, you just, the fact that you would have enough of an emotional response. Now that doesn't mean someone's necessarily a follower of Christ, but they're at least at Romans one where they're a believer. There's a God, 
you know, and that's okay. I mean, how you respond to that anger is the most important thing. And I would ask people to use it again. It's a beautiful emotion, God-given, God experience. God gets angry. Yeah. So it's not like you're you're out of line. It's how you respond to it. And it's either going to drive you towards him or drive a wedge between the two of you. And I think as long as you're willing to be a person who's willing to discover more about God, you're right. You know, we did talk about it yesterday because, again, it's one of those – Sounds really good, but it's a heinous statement to make to somebody who's suffering. All you need is a little more faith. Yeah. Like, all right, number one, tell me what do you mean by that? Quantity or quality? Are you saying the faith I have is insufficient or I don't have enough of it? Number one. It's one thing for Jesus to say it. We're not Jesus, number one. He's the one who said it a couple of times. It doesn't mean you're allowed to. You know what I mean? So, but I mean, I get the whole concept. But at the end of the day, even if it is true, the next question is, all right, so how do I go about getting it? Okay, I need more of something. It's like telling a shark that they need more water. It's like, what? You're going to spend the rest of his (laughs) life looking for something he's already in. You know what I mean? It's Christianity is a – our relationship with God the Father is driven purely by faith. But the faith that we express in God the Father through Christ Jesus the Lord is steeped in fact. Historical, actual, factual evidence. So when we have the tangible, factual, actual, historical, you know, it should it gives us something as we saw yesterday to look back at and be like, whoa, wait, pump the brakes. If if God did that and Christ has already come, then all of a sudden my response to what I face should be different. That's right. That's exactly right. And you don't need more faith as much as you've got to make sure you have the right facts, that you really understand the immensity of the gospel message. And when you you and I begin to get that in us, it's always going to respond no matter what what really faces us. And I guess what would be your response to somebody that they're they're wondering – why uh, we kind of address this a little bit like they're there they might say look i believe god is there but why would he allow this horrible thing to happen and my response has always been look i spent a whole year trying to figure out those answers you're never going to figure out those answers and i think one of the best way that i saw it explained was actually barnabas's book he said that we are um finite beings trying to understand an infinite god Absolutely. we are not meant to understand God. And I'm like, that's the only way, like the book that I'm writing ultimately is going to arrive at that point. I don't understand it. I'm not going to understand it. And I've going to stop trying to, because if, if I get to a point, and this was a sermon that I learned in my, in my home church in Evansville, if you get to a point where you feel like you understand everything about God, then he's, he's really a pretty not, small God. it's a pretty small God to you. He's no longer God that we are worshiping. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? There's got to be beauty in the mystery, and yeah, I don't understand why heartache happens. I don't understand it, but I understand that God suffered, that Jesus suffered, and I don't know. I mean, I guess as a pastor, what is your response well, I to think that question? You, I think at the end of the day, you hit the nail on the head. Is that whenever we ha- we wonder number one about God, we have to understand that He knows exactly what it's like to suffer to watch loss at, a, at an incredible level. I think, you know, number one, I would encourage everybody that it is always appropriate to ask God why. That's another one of the great ones that we get told you're never allowed to ask God why. And I would encourage people on this Holy Week, um, you know, to at least reflect back and look at Good Friday when Jesus comes out of three hours of utter darkness, okay? The very first thing he says to God is, my God, my God, why? Yep. 
okay? And so Christ is coming out of the darkness of having become sin. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is not my father, my father. It's imperative that we note it's my God, my God. He's referred to God as father exhaustively. And yet at this moment, the relationship seems distant. His first question is why? Okay, he doesn't get an answer. But it's fine to ask the question, just like it's fine to be angry, because you don't ask a question of someone you don't think is listening. Yeah. So I would say that's appropriate. But why God allows this to happen, number one, I think there could be seven billion different reasons. Okay, there could be a subjective reason for all of us. Okay, so to maybe look at for one blanket reason is probably not necessarily appropriate. Yeah. I think God may say something very different, say, to China than he is to the United States. I think he'll say something very different to northern Italy than he's going to say to South Florida. Yeah. He's probably going to say something different to the Claiborne family than he's going to say to the Farrell family. He'll say something different to Crossland community than he will to Living Hope Baptist Church in our community. Okay, so God in this infinite, powerful, wonderful ability to communicate like he did on Pentecost had one man, Peter, speaking, and every audience member heard Peter speaking in their own language, their own dialect. So it was one man speaking, and yet they all received something subjectively. So I think we, number one, we don't necessarily want to limit God to one explanation as to why he would allow it. If we don't get the answer now, we will one day. The Bible says, now we know in part, one day we shall know in full, as we ourselves are fully known. We will get an explanation. But I think as we said earlier in this discussion, one of the things you need to do is to look for your own individual awareness in this right now. What is God trying to bring out of this in your life? What does he want to motivate you and me to do? But at the end of the day, somebody asked me, uh, even today, you know, um, is this God doing this? And I would be exhaustively hesitant to sign God's name to this. Uh, yeah. I think he's allowing it. I don't think he's ordaining it. While those both seem like, well, what's the difference? We're having the same effect. There's a lot of difference because God did not allow Jesus to die. God ordained it. In fact, God crushed him for our iniquities. It's very different to think that God killed Jesus than it is to think the coronavirus took someone's life. Yeah. Those are two dramatically different things. Okay. One's yeah. allowed, one's ordained, and they are dramatically different. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I I had that same idea where I was seeing people say, like, God is using this to punish the world. And I'm like, I don't think that that's accurate, nor is it helpful to assign God's name to this horrible, horrible pandemic at all. No, other, th other than he's sovereign and, and it cannot happen without him allowing it. Again, now, could God use this to, quote, I'm not a big fan of the word punish because of the understanding of propitiation, but to allow a person to be punished by it? Yes, because we all know God cannot be mocked. You'll reap what you sow. But that's more on a subjective individual level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Am I thinking anybody who got the coronavirus was being punished by God? No. But, you know, how do you know there isn't a, say a business person out there that's been practicing absolutely horrendous, immoral business practices, conning, cheating, and stealing from every person he's ever done business with. And God's like, well, I can sure use this to shut you down. You're like, well, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. The dude's been stealing, robbing people blind. I'm just going to take his business opportunity from him. Yeah. People aren't thinking about that possibility. You know, it's like, 
all of us would say, well, you mean maybe he put out some of these scam artists out of business? Huh. Maybe so. You know why? <laughs> because there's no point in calling uh, Mr. and Mrs. America, John Q. Public, on the phone and trying to get their credit card from them. Why? Because they're all broke. Yeah. There's nothing left for you to steal from them. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I just sometimes see things always as half full, not yeah. half empty. Yeah. Well, that, I think this podcast this is always the last question I ask my guests, but the podcast is called In No Hurry. And when I created this, the idea was to create an opportunity to That's slow awesome. down. Yeah. Well, now the life has kind of done that for us. <laughs> yeah. So typically I, I, ask people, the profit is. <laughs> I, I ask people, what do you do to slow down? And now I have to change it to say like, now that life has kind of slowed down a little bit, what are you, obviously you're way busier, I think, than a lot of people are still, but what are some things that you do to go to in order to kind of recalibrate your brain and your yeah. mind and your heart a little bit whenever you feel like maybe, you know, uh, life is going crazy and in your own words, you have to pump the brakes a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, for me, um, as hard as I hit it, I do know how to rest, you know? Um, last week, a couple of days, you know, it sounded, it, people were like, well, that's not that big a deal. But if you knew me, you'd know. I even, you know, I even, after last Monday's staff meeting, we, we had like a three and a half hour online staff meeting. And I was emotionally, physically exhausted from having to evaluate with everybody, everything. And just so much stress and trying to, you know, I, I literally took like a two and a half hour nap at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. Usually that I would feel guilty. I woke up, I didn't even, and it was in a chair. I mean, I, I was in the same chair I was in during that meeting. I just kind of put my head back and two and a half hours later, I was awake. It's kind of funny with my dog in my lap. Probably thought I was, something was seriously wrong. So I do know how to unplug. I do know how to rest. My, I had an uncle, his name was Franny. I love him, Franny Kern, a beautiful man. He's been with the Lord for years now. And I can remember as a child him saying, when you're tired, take a nap. It was one of the most profound things because, you know, all my life now, and I'm not a nap taker, but I now know that it's okay. You know, I've been yeah. known that my whole life. Uh, last week, you know, I decided, you know what, there's this small little 40 foot long by six foot wide paver patio. Tammy and I have been wanting to put on the, to extend our patio. And I would generally have tried to pay someone to do that because I don't have the time. I thought, you know what, get the shovel. My gym's closed, so I can't exercise at D1. So, I spent Friday and Saturday, I'm telling you, my knees are killing me and yeah. I'm in great shape. But I was out there digging a foot deep and hauling wet, moist dirt. And again, I'm out there breathing heavy and sweating, but I'm not thinking about the current circumstances. So it's a good diversion. Yeah. Um, but I make sure that these moments that, you know, I think all of us need to be, think about the people you love the most. And make sure you're around the ones who love you the most. Yeah. You know, and just make sure you do, as you disconnect from society, you don't disconnect from your intimacies and the people you rely on. And if it's one person, if it's a friend, if it's a neighbor, you know, there's just things. We all have an expression of rest. And I don't think, I don't mean sleeping. You sleep because you're tired. You rest because you know you're complete. You rest because you know there's nothing you have to do, nothing you can possibly do to add to the completed work of Christ on the cross for you, that God has in fact made you perfect. You are absolutely in his eyes holy. And that rest says, you know what? I can disconnect like God did. On the seventh day, he rested, not because he was exhausted, but because his work was finished. So my encouragement to everybody out there is in some of these chaotic moments, don't fail to pause and reflect. 
There's nothing you have to do that Christ hasn't already done. So breathe. Just breathe, man. Do whatever it is that makes you find that kind of rest. It's one of my favorite answers to that question so far on the show. So Thanks, man. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. Thank you it's for providing this context. I just Absolutely. think it's, uh, there's so many things that I, I, I don't have the knowledge for, and that's why I was like, you know what? We need to get Greg on here and well, help us get through this. <laughs> that's because you don't know anybody else. <laughs> no, I'm deeply honored. May God richly bless every person that ever hears this, and maybe sometime we can do it again in the future. Absolutely. God bless you, man. Well, I hope you had your notepads and pens ready for that conversation and were able to take some notes because Greg just said so many good things. And I'm so grateful to have had him on to put some context to what we're experiencing right now. And there's a lot of people and a lot of things in this world that are telling you to fear. And there's just no reason to fear when we believe that Jesus is already one and that he is already greater than everything. And I'm just so grateful for Greg's voice and the truth that he speaks to. And I'm just grateful that he was able to come on this podcast. So please make sure that you reach out to him and let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this podcast. If you want to go back and check out some of his sermons, I will put the links to those in the show notes as well as his social media. But thank you guys. I really appreciate you tuning in this week. I know that there are a lot of things that you could be filling your time with, and it means a lot that you have taken an hour or so to listen to this podcast. Hey, the music that you hear in this podcast comes from my good friend, Ryan Allwart. And if you are able to send him a friend request on Facebook, because every Wednesday and Friday, he's doing some virtual concerts and it's really awesome. I've tuned in three or four times already and it's just been a lot of fun and kind of gives you something to look forward to. He takes requests. It's kind of like a three hour show that he would be playing and he's interactive with the fans and he's just an awesome dude so i'm grateful that he does the music for this show and reach out to him and uh tune into some of his virtual concerts and also feel free to contact me any way you need to i'm on twitter and instagram at cole claiborne you can also email me in no hurry at coleclaiborne.com i would love to connect with you guys and chat with you love to hear about what you're doing during quarantine and how you're spending your time maybe some new skills you learned or new things that you picked up and just so everybody is staying safe hope everybody is able to spend the time with people that they love and do things that they find productive and as always grateful for you guys listening to the show hey just a reminder every thursday in april i'm going to have an athlete on this show to talk about how covid19 is affecting their playing career maybe their season or career has ended because of COVID-19. And on Thursday, I have Major League Baseball pitcher Jared Eikhoff. Jared is also from Evansville, Indiana, and was actually going to come to Western Kentucky when I was here, uh, but ended up getting drafted by the Texas Rangers and has been in the major leagues since then. So I enjoyed talking to him about his career and how he's dealing with the sudden pause on baseball. And he has a lot of good insight on how he's approached this through a faith lens as well. So I'm excited to bring that conversation with you guys on Thursday. So make sure you tune back in. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys find some time this week to slow down and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you on Thursday.